Thanks for tuning in. Ham Talk Live will be on the air shortly. Please stand by. Thanks for tuning in. Ham Talk Live will be on the air shortly. Please stand by. This episode of Ham Talk Live is brought to you by Tower Electronics. For connectors, cables, and more, call 920-435-2973 or visit pl-259.com. And by ICOM. Heard it? Worked it? Logged it. Visit www.icomamerica.com slash amateur for more information about ICOM radios. It's Ham Radio. Hey, good evening, everyone. It's time for Ham Talk Live. It's episode number 156, Traveling Abroad with Ham Radio, recorded live on Thursday, March 14th, Pi Day, 2019. I'm your host, Neil Rapp, WB9VPG. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Ham Talk Live. Tonight, we're joined by Dan Henderson, N1ND, and we'll take your calls live in just a few minutes. And two big holidays today, so a happy Pi Day, and we won't talk about the other one. It's a family show, but but uh, have a, have a great day. And uh, if you want to operate your radio abroad, well, we're, that's what we're going to talk about. Mostly licensing and that kind of thing tonight. We'll talk a little bit about uh, traveling with your gear, but. Uh, but we'll, we'll stick mostly to all the uh, to the legal stuff, and uh, we'll give you a chance to call in with some questions. In fact, we've already got some on Twitter, so you can tweet those at HamTalkLive if you like. And I'll give you the phone number to call here in just a little bit, so you can write that down and have that ready. We've been going through some uh, changes with the phone system and found out we're, we're definitely getting a new phone number. So... We're going to have to say goodbye to the old phone number. So we'll, we'll figure all that out and I'll give you the, uh, the number to call tonight. It's the one we've been using for a while. Uh, but last week here on the show, Sterling Mann in zero SSC was here to talk about the YARC youth contesting program. If you missed that, you can listen anytime. Just go to hamtalklive.com or your favorite podcast app or YouTube and you can catch the rebroadcast also on WTWW 5085 AM. Saturday evenings at about 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Also, a note just came in from uh, John Amadeo uh, not uh, too uh, far before the show started. Uh, Jet Jurgensmeyer, he plays Mike Baxter's grandson on Last Man Standing. He and his dad both got their licenses. They passed the test, so they, they have technician licenses. They're waiting on the uh, call signs, but... Congratulations to Jet and his father. I believe his father's name's Scott. Uh, so congratulations to them. And, and we've got more hams on 
the crew of Last Man Standing. So get your questions ready to go about traveling. If you listen to us on Thursday night live, you can give us a call after the interview. And here's the phone number, 812-650-9556. Again, to call in to ask a question later in the show, it's 812-650-9556. Write that down. Have it ready to go. We're not ready for calls just yet, but we will soon. So 812-650-9556 is the phone number. And again, tweet us. We're at Ham Talk Live. If you'd rather tweet us, we will check that as we go through the night as well. So I'll be back with Dan right after this word from ICOM America right here on Ham Talk Live. Create your own band opening. ICOM's newest SDR transceiver, the IC9700, is coming soon. This new radio is bringing direct sampling to the UHF-VHF weak signal world. The IC9700 all-mode transceiver is loaded with innovative features such as dedicated amateur satellite operation, color touchscreen, D-Star capability built in, RF direct sampling on the 2-meter and 70-centimeter bands, dual independent receivers capable of full duplex operation, as well as dual watch, and maximum output power of 100 watts on 2 meters, 75 watts on 70 centimeters, and 10 watts on 1.2 gigahertz. Visit www.icomamerica.com amateur for more information on ICOM radios. Right now, you could be sitting on a beach, sipping a drink with an umbrella in it, and enjoying the good life. But instead, you've decided to listen to Ham Talk Live. So we thank you. And now, here's Neil Rapp with more of the show. Thanks, as always, to ICOM America for helping bring Ham Talk Live your way each and every week. Tonight, our guest is Dan Henderson, N1ND. He's been a ham since 1970. Dan is the Assistant Secretary for the ARRL and is also the ARRL Regulatory Information Manager. He's the Administrator of the ARRL Volunteer Council and Volunteer Consulting Engineer Programs. Dan has degrees in history, education, and political science, and his call sign reflects his love for Notre Dame, both as a proud graduate and as a football fan. And for many, many, many years, Dan was the ARRL Field Day Guru. So, Dan, welcome to the show. Hi, Neil. Glad to be able to be with you this evening. Yeah, we're glad you're here. And this has been an interesting uh, topic that we're talking about tonight. Uh, already had uh, some interest on uh, all the social media and on the forums and everything. Uh, seems like it's a popular topic right now as people are thinking about going places uh in the summer and, and getting all this figured out of, can I take my radio? How can I do that? Can I, can I get a license? Do I have to get a license? Do I have to get an upgrade and all this kind of stuff? So we're going to try to clear up a lot of that tonight. So first of all, before we get started in all of this, just exactly what does it mean to be a reciprocal 
agreement. Okay, Neil. I, I, the, the biggest misunderstanding I think people uh, have when it comes to operating under a reciprocal permit, reciprocal operating does not mean, hi, I'm here, I'm going to get on the radio because we got a reciprocal agreement and so I can go operate in any way I want to. In some cases, it is that simple. In most cases, there are a few things you have to do. I, I liken reciprocal operating to you, there are known hoops to jump through. Some of them are more difficult than others, but there are known hoops to, to jump through. It's not just simply get on, get on the plane, get off, and throw an antenna in the air and get on the air. So I think that's always the starting point. Okay. The, uh, the second thing is even with some of the uh, multilateral agreements, there are there are two primary multilateral agreements, actually three, that U.S. amateurs can uh, avail themselves of to be able to go simplify the operation. Even with those, sometimes there are hoops that you have to jump through, and uh, we'll talk about a little bit about those down the way. Uh, but the principal thing is, and I get questions about this all the time, make sure you, you know the situation before you go in. Uh, as an example, for many, many years, uh, amateurs would show up at the Mexican border, and we have a reciprocal agreement with Mexico, and they would go to the border, and they'd tell the border crossing guard, hey, I want to do ham radio while I'm here. Can you help me get a license? Sure, here, fill out this form, give us our $100, and now you can go play ham radio. Not one of them was legal, because that wasn't the process. So make sure that you're that you're fully aware of what the hoops are before you start jumping through them. Yeah, planning ahead is definitely uh, a, a top priority, and sometimes that can take months or even years in some instances, most most of them not, but it can take a long time. So let's let's talk a little bit about, you know, temporarily operating in another country so that's probably what a lot of people ask is i'm going on vacation i'm going to to visit aunt martha i'm going you know whatever for a couple of weeks what do i need to do as a u.s amateur to operate temporarily in those other countries do you do you just need a prefix or a suffix to your call or 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 what so uh Let's let's start off with the easy one. Let's start off with Canada. With Canada, the uh, reciprocal agreement is actually written into Part 97. And in Canada, it's literally uh, tax stroke VE, whatever province you're in, or VE7 if you're in British Columbia, or VE2 if you're in Quebec. Uh, tack it on to the end of your call sign, go operate and have fun. It's that simple. Uh, the same reciprocity works on the way back. Remember when you're traveling overseas and to other countries, though, you're, you are bound by the rules and regulations of that host entity. The FCC isn't going to enforce you operating out of band in England. Uh, that's Ofcom's job. So you need to make sure that you understand that the, that the rules are going to vary by country to country. Band allocations, frequency allocations vary by country to country. Uh, 
And so you need to you need to do a little bit of homework. The, mo- the most frustrating calls I get sometimes are the ones that say, "Well, I'm popping on a plane tomorrow, and I'm going to take my HT with me." <laughs> uh, yeah, and you're going to a country uh, like the Bahamas. We have a reciprocal operating permit uh, with the Bahamas. You have to make an application, pay the fee, and it's about the it's about the Lincoln, the Benjamins. Uh, and you can get a reciprocal license. They actually require you to get a reciprocal license. And some places you uh, have to go through the application process. Uh, some places you don't have to go through the application process because you have done it in advance if you're operating under, like, the International Amateur Radio Permit, the IARP. Uh, an example there, Panama is a signatory to the IARP. And you get the IARP from your national society here in the United States, which would be the ARRL. We issue one for U.S. citizens. Don't ask the ARRL, don't let a foreign <coughs> national, even though they may have a U.S. license, is not eligible to get an IARP through the ARRL. It's got to be issued by only the citizens. So that, that draws it. But in Panama, once you get that, then you have to notify the national authorities of where you're actually going to be operating. Uh, that caused some problems at times down there. Uh, gets a little more complicated if you get on, on a Panamanian flagged ship. Uh, and shipboard operation is a whole other ball of wax, which we'll get to, I think, in a little bit. Yeah, yeah we but, will. Yeah, if you go to the ARRL website, ARRL.org backslash reciprocal hyphen permit, we have the listing of every country that we have. Uh, with as much information as we have. On that site, you'll also find a link to a um, page called Licensing Abroad, which was put together by OH2MCN Vecca Compa, uh, who unfortunately became a silent key a couple of years ago. The information on Vecca's website was valid. Uh, he maintained it independent of us. Uh, instead of duplicating things, uh, he would frequently link people to our information if it was better. We would link to his information if he had better information. So, uh, but the gen- the uh, the broad parameters of the stuff on Vecca on Vecca's website are probably most of them are still valid. But again, always ask before you go. And a good source to be asking is not only the ARRL, but if you're uh, contact the IARU Society in the country in which you're going. Example, if you're going to Canada, you would want to talk to the RAC. If you're going to England, you're going to want to talk to the RSGB. And all that's available at the the IARU.org website. Uh, We keep links to as as much of that as we can. Okay, so we we talked about Canada, and that's the only one I've done. That's the only other country I've been to, and that that was easy. That was fun. I just said portable VE3, and, and that was it. Um, now, but before we move on, um, Chris, AA4CB from Tampa, wants to know, uh, is the Canada ban plan and power limits the same? I honestly can't tell you. Uh, okay. You're going to have to look okay. at the RAC website. <laughs> I, I, I can't keep up with all hundred and however many yeah. you know, national <laughs> rules and regulations and things like that. Yeah, I believe. But if you go to the RAC.ca website, yeah. uh you will find the information about that. And every every national society or the telecom authority in that country is pretty good about having that information online. And if you don't read Spanish, uh, many of them will have simple stuff in English or you know in Portuguese or whatever the national language is. 
but yeah, you'll need to refer to the national website for the most up-to-date information on power limits, band privileges, and things like that. Yeah, I want to say it's pretty similar, but it seems like there were a few little differences on power, maybe. So again, check check the website. We're we're not keeping track of of all of these countries. And speaking of not keeping track of all of these countries, I'm not going to go down the list of every country here, but let's talk about Canada and then let's talk about Mexico just because they're here in North America and more likely. So, so I'm going to pick out one more and that's Mexico. Okay. Mexico is very problematic. While we have reciprocity with them right now, they are not issuing any permits. Their telecom administration has, is undergoing some radical changes, and they are not issuing licenses for any kind of reciprocal operating. So right now it is not possible to legally get a license and go down and operate in Mexico. When that changes, we'll have that information updated on our website, but Mexico is problematic at this point in time. Okay. Now, let's talk a little bit about CEPT. Um th- that makes life a little easier yet it gets more complicated legally so uh let's talk about countries that have the cept agreement and what that might do and what it won't okay the european union the european conference on postal telecommunication administrations is cept uh they have a series of agreements in the european union that allows you to very easily uh, operate from another country if you were licensed with what is called a HERIC, a Harmonized Amateur Radio Exam content. You can even get a license in another, uh, you can get a French license if you're a Hungarian citizen, for example. Uh, the, the U.S. does participate as a signatory to CEPT, which means that we, are, we agree to accept CEPT licensing here and we abide by what the CEPT agreements are. So relatively simple with CEPT, but if you've you've heard of this thing called Brexit, uh, that may create a problem for operating in the UK, for example, but we do have a bilateral as well as the multilateral agreement with the UK, and as that proceeds, there could be some changes along this way. There are two levels of CEPT. One is uh, TR6101, which is the standard... uh, higher level of the two licenses that uh, you can qualify for under CEPT. Um, You have to be a U.S. amateur extra or an advanced class license to avail yourself of the reciprocity under 6101. Uh, 6101, uh, on our website, uh, if you will go in and search for information for U.S. amateurs traveling abroad, and look for the February uh, 2019 update, and that is the most recent update. And you will see that there, I haven't counted them lately, a whole bunch of countries uh, from Albania to alphabetically to the United Kingdom, which is the last alphabetically, including Russia, including Romania, so forth and so on, that all have uh, agreed to CEPT. You have to be careful in some of those countries, such as Russia, to make sure that there's nothing particular additional that you have to do. But in general, if you're a U.S. amateur, extra, or an advanced class licensee, you're fully eligible to go operate under 6101. There is a lower level, which is available to U.S. general class licensees, 
which gives you access to what is called the CEPT radio, uh, novice radio amateur license. Uh, you've got to have a U.S. general class technicians are not going to qualify. And it is not as comprehensive a list of countries. Uh, for example, the U.K. does not participate in what's called Recommendation 0506, which is the, uh, the uh, novice radio permit. Uh, it also gets a little more complicated. Uh, there's been some recent talk about people wanting to avail themselves of CEPT to go operate in the Netherlands Antilles. That used to be permissible uh, until the governments separated and the Netherlands Antilles became a separate unit of, of the Dutch government and not part of the Netherlands itself. Uh, they participate in CEPT, but you cannot use C. You cannot have a non-CEPT European Union member availing themselves of CEPT to operate in a, another non-CEPT European Union member country. It's a little, it, again, it's never it's never quite as simple as I think people want it to be. And I can confuse I confuse you a whole lot more if you want. <laughs> well. We'll, we'll 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 go with that for now, and we'll see, we'll see how it goes here. Um, and then let's talk about the others. You know, if they don't have the CEPT agreement, then it's pretty much a case by case. Yeah, there is um, the information on the website at the reciprocal dash operating on the AWRL website is pretty good. There's a one pager that is attached to that, and but again, if you search for uh, on the AWRL website, use the search information for U.S. amateurs traveling abroad, and make sure it's the updated February 2019 edition. It will also give you the list of not only the CEPT uh, TR-6101 countries and the ECC recommendation 0506 countries. It will list the international uh, uh, amateur radio permit countries, the IARP countries. It will also give you a list of those countries with which the U.S. has a bilateral agreement. Uh, always keep in mind that when you're traveling abroad, take a copy, take your license with you. Don't uh, don't rely. You don't have to physically have it in the U.S. You don't even have to post it. I remember the good old days where you used to have to post your license in your in your shack. You oh, don't have yeah. to do that anymore. As long as you're valid in the U.L.S., you're free to operate in the U.S. But when you're traveling abroad, get a hard copy of your license and take it with you. Uh, if you're operating under the terms of CEPT, the FCC has issued a uh, CEPT uh, public notice, which is DA 16-1048, uh, and the last update of that was September of 2016. You need a copy of that, and it gives the it's in three languages. It's in German, French, and English. It's in four. I think it's in German, English, French, and Spanish, and uh, it will. Uh, explain in case the authorities uh, tap you on the shoulder and want to see what's your authorized, um, operating authorization and stuff like that. I can tell you if time I've ever traveled abroad and operated, nobody's ever cared. But don't set yourself up for a problem. Okay. Well, yeah, that was point one. So <laughs> it's not quite as easy as you might think. So, uh, let's, let's go ahead and move on a little bit and let's talk about what about a permanent license? What if you decide, Hey, you know, I go to this country quite often, 
how do I get a license in that country? You'll have to test for the license in that country. Uh, there are there's some interesting things. There was, a, there was some Italians that uh, couldn't get a license in Italy a few years ago. They came over and tested for a U.S. license. And they passed the technician license, and they went back to Italy and tried to use the U.S. license as an authorization that would automatically qualify them for an Italian license. It doesn't work that way. Uh, people traveling to the U.S. that, hey, I want to get a U.S. call sign, the only way to get a U.S. call sign is to pass the license exam. And then what goes along with that is once you have a U.S. license grant, you are no longer eligible to operate under reciprocity. You can only operate under the terms of your license exam. Um, if you have a, the FCC does not differentiate incoming between the two levels of the CEPT license. If you've got a CEPT license, you get full operating privileges. The same does not hold course elsewhere uh, going back. So we've had people that have come in with a uh, full European license uh, get a pass a U.S. technician class exam uh, so they can have a U.S. call sign and then try to operate under reciprocity. And as we say down home where I'm from, that dog doesn't hunt. <laughs> um, you, have, you have to make sure that you abide by the regulations of the country that you want. The U.S., the, the, one of the reasons that they will not accept the U.S. license for a reciprocal full license is the U.S. does not participate in HERIC, the Harmonized Amateur Radio Exam content that I mentioned a little while ago. Um, and since we are not a HERIC country, you know, you do not qualify for that kind of... You can certainly test for a license if you can pass the exam. Uh, it's going to be given in whatever the foreign language is, be, be forewarned of that. Um, and you'll have to meet those requirements, and that's, how, that's the way you would get your, a full call sign other than reciprocity. Okay, so get ready for a test, <laughs> and you're going to have to take that test uh, probably in that country, I, I would expect, for most of those, So, uh, if not all. So that's the deal. So, you, again, it's, it, it's not a universal thing. You're going to have to, to find out exactly for that specific country. Well, uh, before we go to break here, and we are due for a break, but uh, let's talk just a little bit about traveling with gear and restrictions on planes and, and, and ships and everything. Are there any restrictions on what you can take uh, with you as far as antennas and power supplies and radios and that kind of thing? Uh, and what advice would you give for, for hams traveling with gear? If it's a holiday-style operation, keep it to a bare minimum because, remember, you're gonna, when you start hauling around an HF rig and a power supply and uh, an antenna and coax and stuff like that, it, it's going to get pretty heavy and it's going to be pretty interesting trying to get through some of the customs. I travel with gear frequently, and I've never had a problem because I carry my license with me. Uh, I have been asked a couple of times if I have an HT, you know, turn it on and let them see it power up sort of thing. Uh, but there are import uh, limitations on some of these things. Uh, they want to make sure you're not bringing the equipment to leave in the country and avoid paying a customs duty that way. So make sure you have the receipts 
for your uh, equipment that you're traveling with to prove that uh, you bought them, you didn't buy them there, and you don't owe customs duties on it. And uh, let me know about taking the break because the second part of this about traveling like on ships and things like that is, is a little more detailed, and we may need to do that on the other side of the break. Okay. All right. Well, let's do that. Let's go ahead and take our break, and we'll talk about uh, – cruise ships and and keeping your gear intact and then we'll uh get in and tackle some of these questions coming up after the break so we'll be back with dan and your questions right after this word from tower electronics right here on ham talk live this episode of ham talk live is brought to you in part by tower electronics Tower Electronics has been the Ham's Dime Store since 1978. When you need connectors, mobile and handheld antennas, cables, or adapters, visit Scott or Jill at a Hamfest near you. Or you can order online at pl-259.com or call 920-435-2973. Stock up on those supplies like PL-259 and end connectors, SMA adapters, audio cables, soldering supplies, mobile antennas, and hand sticks. Their silver-plated end connectors are even used on the International Space Station. Tower Electronics carries MFJ, Comet, Daiwa, OPEC, Workman, and Hampro products. And don't miss their 0% off sale going on now. Tower Electronics, online at pl-259.com. Proud to sponsor this episode of Ham Talk Live. Nominations are now open for the Amateur Radio Newsline, Bill Pasternak, WA6ITF, Young Ham of the Year Award. I'm Don Wilbanks, AE5DW. Since 1986, we've had the honor of celebrating the accomplishments of youth in ham radio, and we want to know about your exceptional young ham. You'll find the rules and a nominating form by clicking the YHOTY tab on arnewsline.org. Fill it out, send it in, and we'll see you and an amazing young ham at the Huntsville, Alabama Ham Fest in August. Thanks, and 73, from Amateur Radio Newsline. Oh, yeah. You're talking ham radio, baby. You're listening to Ham Talk Live with Neil Rapp. Thanks to Scott and Jill at Tower Electronics for sponsoring the show tonight to help bring you Ham Talk Live. Coming up uh, this weekend, Toledo, Ohio on March 16th, Sevierville, Tennessee on March 30th, Belton, Texas, April 6th, uh, Stoughton, Wisconsin, April 13th, and also Mobile, Alabama, April 13th, or visit them online at pl 259 Com. Ham Talk Live is on the air every Thursday night at 9 p.m. Eastern Time right here at HamTalkLive.com. Be sure to check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and we'll give you a chance to uh, call in here in just a bit. But let's uh, pick up where we left off, and, and my apologies, Dan, I had to cut you off from the commercial break there. Um, so we were talking about um, traveling Pretty with shit. gear. And uh, we were yeah, talking about, talk about the cruise, cruise ships. ships. And, and I've heard a little bit about cruise ships because one of our newsline guys, Paul uh, Brown, WD9GCO, was talking about it and said, said, yeah, I checked with the cruise line and they said, if I bring my HT, they're going to confiscate it. 
It's just nothing. And that others are. So let's talk a little bit about cruise ships. This this is the most complicated question I get, and I get this question once or twice a week. Um, The starting point with a cruise ship is you have to have permission of the cruise ship company to even have the equipment on board. If you get that permission, and they, some of them will work with you. I know the QCWA will do a, uh, a theme cruise on one of the boats, and they've made special arrangements with the cruise ship company to have the stuff on, online or on board with them. Uh, if you get that permission, then you have to have the permission of the captain to be able to operate on onboard ship, and that's another set of things that you have to go through. And that's before you even get to the licensing issues. Uh, when you were on board that ship, you are under the authority of the country flag, the country of the flag of the ship that you're on, a Panamanian ship. Uh, you know, uh, Carnival Cruises is not a U.S. line. I believe it's, uh, I forget where it's flagged. Uh, but the country of flag of the cruise ship line means you have to have operating recipro- uh, reciprocal operating authority from that country. And then we take it a step further is what happens when you're on board that ship and you're in a port of call of another country where the third country's rules and regulations come into play. Uh, The way I answer the cruise ship question for most people, I start with how long are you going to be in a port? Oh, we're going to be there for the day. And I thought I'd get on the repeater and just talk to some people and maybe have some lunch with somebody. you got to remember that in that kind of situation, they don't use repeaters necessarily like we do. So you're not necessarily going to get on and, it, while it seems exotic, oh, well, I was a DX country in, in Montserrat, and I was stroke VP, I was stroke VP8 in the, in, uh, in the Falkland Islands. It's not that simple, especially when you're on board ship. I have heard of situations where... Uh, the ham husband and wife took the HTs with them so they could keep up with each other on the ground on a on a shore leave during a day. Uh, the cruise ship company became aware of them having the radios and would not let them back on board until they had turned them into the purser to uh, uh, to only to be returned at the end of the ship. So you have to be uh, cruise ships are another animal in and of themselves. Okay, so more to check on. Uh, so what about TSA? What, what, what do you think, you know, what's TSA looking for uh, if you go through um, and try to fly with uh, a rig? What are they going to look at? It's going to be like any other electronics that you're carrying on board. Uh, I have never had a problem with TSA. Uh, the only questions I've ever had from foreign customs and immigration, you know, if they want to see a license, they may have asked you to turn it on to make sure that the uh, that the radio really is a radio and it's not a piece of plastic explosive shaped like a radio sort of thing. They were careful. They were edgy about stuff like that. But you know, that part of it is fairly simple. The uh, the more difficult part is when you're such as the D expedition going somewhere and you you pre ship equipment into the country. Uh, got to remember that some of those countries may not necessarily uh, want you to leave with that equipment if if you catch the direction I'm going there. They may be perfectly content for you to bring it in, but uh, it's amazing that on occasion, uh, well, this is illegal equipment and we're confiscating it and you don't get it back when you leave the country. But 
as far as TSA, TSA is, is pretty cool about this stuff. Okay. And then um, what what about keeping your gear safe? What, what do you recommend for uh, packing your gear and, and making sure it's still in one piece when you get there? Um, I really can't recommend specific stuff and things like that. Make sure you've packed it securely. Um, when you will see a de-expedition, for example, or when the, another example, the uh, go kits that go out for handmade, um, the most expensive thing in the go kit is the radio. The second most expensive thing in the go kit is the, is the Pelican case itself. And make sure that you've packed it securely. It's not going to be flopping around, things like that. Don't try to overpack it. Uh, remember the weight requirements uh, on some of these flights, so you have to be careful of distribution of weight in those things. But yeah, yeah, don't you know, throw the don't throw the uh, the K two into the into the suitcase on top of, and well, I'll just throw my underwear around it, and that'll that'll keep it safe. Again, you're going to end up with a radio that's going to be tossed. Or if you've ever watched some of the uh, baggage handlers at some of these places, you you understand what I mean by that. Uh, the United the Breaks Guitars video comes to mind. Yep. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, the um, uh, one of the one of the airline companies had. Uh, their competition, they secretly filmed them, and they had a couple of gorillas out there tossing suitcases around. The, 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 you have to you have to be careful of that. But a, again, you would be careful with anything like that that you're packing, whether it was a radio or whether it was, you know, the the hand blown vase from uh, Venice that you're bringing home. You, you want to be prudent about the packing and make sure uh, don't skimp on the packing material and stuff like that. Uh, do you, can you recommend? Carry on versus checked. Or can you get into that? Or uh, I know people that do it both ways. If you're carrying significant gear to go down and run a multi-two contest from somewhere in the Caribbean, you're going to have too much weight to carry on uh, because of the limitations. You get the one big carry-on, things like that. Uh, don't. Uh, what, what am I trying to say here? Let's not uh, don't expect that every piece of equipment that you go with may be there when you get back. Uh, sometimes uh, employees, uh, ooh, look at what I found, sort of sort of syndrome, and it mysteriously gets lost. Okay. But again, I those are yep. yeah. You deal with that with any way that you're dealing with uh, right. something like that. Uh, sure. Remember that what you're putting into that checked luggage uh, is going to be open and accessible. Okay, good advice. All right, well, let's take some of uh, your questions out there in uh, in cyberspace here and on the phone lines. Uh, we'll open up the phone lines here at 812 812- Six five zero nine five five six. Again, the number eight one two six five zero nine five five six. Now's the time to call if you want to call in. We do have a couple of uh, 
texts that have come in uh, over uh, Twitter and on uh, Spreaker here. First of all, Adam K0FFY says that uh, he's planning on a trip to Iceland. And he says, I'm traveling to Iceland this summer and would like to operate satellites. I recently upgraded to General. In order to operate there, I'm wondering if I need to upgrade to Extra or notify or file anything with the licensing authority there. Uh, Iceland is a signatory to both CEPT TR-6101 and to CEPT Recommendation 0506. So the licensing is going to be covered for them in there. Uh, They have VHF, UHF privileges in Iceland, but again, I would go to the uh, Icelandic uh, Amateur Radio ARU Society and you can find the link for that iaru.org will list all of, on there will be the list of the member societies with the links to their contact information but i would drop them a line and ask them the particulars but as far as licensing end of it he will he should be covered by the uh, recommendation 0506 okay very good um and we can't obviously do that for every country but we we had that one so we'll We'll run with that. Uh, Chris uh, from uh, Tampa again. I had a UK ham come to my VE session and took the tech and general here because his UK license wouldn't let him operate 146 to 148. The UK license only does 144 to 146. So now he can operate on all general class US frequencies. That's that's kind of strange. Does that, that sound right? Yeah, they're... they're uh this is one of those cases where their frequency allocations do not necessarily uh, match with us. I know that Europe has, I don't believe, I can't think of anybody right off the top of my head in Europe that has 146 to 148. They all have 144 to 146. So, yeah, he would be, he would have to pass the U.S. exam to be able to get those extra frequencies in that particular case. And the thing to remember is, is once he has a U.S. license grant, once he has that general U.S. class license, he is no longer eligible to operate under a reciprocal license. He can only operate in the U.S. under that U.S. license grant. Yeah, that that's the the strange one. I, I have a friend that uh, was talking about that from Canada. Uh, that is, you know, he got a U.S. license, and now all of a sudden, that you know, the reciprocity is not there. So. Okay, Carl, KD9HQT just opened up another can of worms. If I went to Japan or any other country and, and, brought, and bought a rig from that country that's not FCC approved, since it would transmit off frequencies of the U.S. bands but had to operate on the country's band plan with that import rig and then bring that back to the U.S., what what's the deal with with that would that be illegal if it's not type accepted for the u.s or what what's going on with that you remember the type acceptance to be certificated uh is for sale in the u.s uh i can't i can't give a definitive answer on that particular scenario but it is his personal equipment that he bought previously he is not buying it in the u.s he is not bringing it to the U.S. for resale as an importer or something like that. Uh, he would need to check with the FCC on that, but my inclination would be that it's no different than uh, than yeah, an amateur bringing his own personal gear somewhere else. 
Okay. And, uh, of course, you know, the rules and band plans are going to apply in whatever country you're operating in. So uh, you got to you gotta do that. Right. Allocations, allocations and band plans do differ by IARU region. And uh, while there is a global band, for example, at uh, from 7.0 to 7.2 megahertz, the 40-meter band, uh, a lot of the world does not have 72 to 73. Uh, as amateur, we have it as amateur exclusive in the U.S., but, you know, there's still foreign broadcast up there. And so that's, again, to underscore, go to the National Society online of the country that you're going to be visiting and operating from and make sure you get the direct information. They will have the latest on uh, frequency allocations and things like that. And, and this goes way, way back. I remember a conversation griping about the test question that used to be on the test. It's not anymore on our, on the U.S. test about what ITU region is Guam in. Well, the, the whole point was the allocations are different in Guam than they are here, even though it's still you know a U.S. territory. It, it's in a different region. Yeah, if you if you look at part ninety seven three, I think it's three oh three, uh, you will see that uh, it may be three oh one. Again, I don't have part nine. It's the one thing I don't have open on the computer screen in front of me. Uh, <laughs> With all the you other will see a eighteen column windows, for region one, region two, region three, because there are U.S. possessions in each of the regions, and there are some slightly, for example, uh, on forty meters. And if you're beyond a particular latitude and longitude, uh, latitude south or longitude west, the 40-meter band that you can use for phone is different. And uh, that, uh, so that's, again, the kind of thing that you got to look at Part 97 if you're operating in a U.S. territory, but that's why you look at the other national societies and make sure that you're operating within their band plans. <laughs> Excuse me, and their frequency allocations because they're the ones that are going to be enforcing it. Okay, well, all kinds of stuff. I think this. I think this could go on for hours, and we're we're not going to believe me. But uh, but there's a lot here, so uh, you know, make use of those online resources for the country that you're you're looking at that uh, Dan's mentioned here, and and hopefully that will. Uh, that will help. Um, let's talk a little bit about, um, we talked about the cruise ship traveling on there, but what about while traveling on a plane? What, what's the general, um, allowance on that? You're not going to not going to. Yeah. (laughs) It's no different than using your cell phone in flight or something like that. Uh, use of a transmitter on board is pretty much prohibited period. Uh, if you're the captain of the plane, and I, I have a, a good example of this is King Hussein, who was his, who flew his own planes. Uh, he would set it on autopilot when he was flying between the U.S. and Jordan, and he would talk to hams using the plane's equipment and stuff like that. But uh, Joe Rank and File uh, sitting back in uh, the cattle call area on squeezing as many people in as you can airline, you're not going to be working ham radio. Uh, with your HT as you're flying over the country. Okay. And then um, 
if you're in international airspace or international waters, what what are the rules? What uh, what band plan do you have to use, and, and what country has the authority to to say what happens? What's the flag of the country of the boat that you're on? Okay. Very good. And, yeah. uh, oh, okay. Go ahead. So you know that that becomes part of it. Um, each of the three ITU regions has the general band plans, uh, but you got to remember that the dip, people refer to band plans. They're actually most of the time referring to frequency allocations, and they are not the same thing. Right. Uh, you're looking at the frequency allocations for region one, region two, region three. And it's going to be determined by the country of flag of the ship that you're on. Okay, very good. Yep, yeah, band plans are definitely different, and, and I may have flipped those uh, terms there, but but uh, the band plan is different from you know what you're allowed to to operate on. Okay, we've got a call on the line, so let's uh, let's take a question on the phone. Uh, good evening, welcome to Ham Talk Live. tonight great topic um i can see there there's a couple of questions that you uh, talked to earlier before so uh, obviously it's uh, it's resonating with people um i have uh, traveled a few times and uh, taken my gear i've never packed it i've always carried it on board uh, i've got a nice little uh, pelican case it's really the harbor freight knockoff but you know what it does good enough and uh, i'm lucky enough to have a kx2 so usually that's my radio choice to uh go on aircraft and uh as dan mentioned i have never had any problems with psa uh going through security uh even going abroad when i go back to canada i've never had any issues uh they just treated like a piece of electronics uh, i will say uh similar to what dan was uh trying to uh, talk about earlier which is the uh <clears throat> when we went to uh, costa rica with the ydxa that 7300 came in the country no problem when it was time to leave, they were asking for some paperwork. And uh, uh, Jim Storm, that was with us, he was uh, one of the lead. Uh, I had already had the copy of the invoice that the radio was purchased in the U.S. It had already gone through, and we were able to uh, to take it back. Uh, but there was a, there was a slight hiccup for that way. There was a little delay getting through. So uh, to echo what Dan was saying, that's absolutely right. Make sure you've got all the paperwork and you're fully documented. Um, and then uh, as far as operating in other countries, uh, Neil, I've shared this story with you before, uh, but since I have a Canadian, or sorry, I have an American license, and uh, when I went to go back to Canada, I was not able to use it because I am not an American citizen yet. So uh, I would have to, uh, I had to get a VE uh, license uh, to operate in Canada, and if I go in other countries, I was told that my U.S. license will not be recognized since I'm not a citizen of that country. I will have to use my Canadian one. So uh, things like that that you don't think about, uh, you know, that doesn't seem to ma matter much. And uh, even that the uh, radio amateurs of Canada, when they were in Dayton a few years back, I asked the question, and there were two gentlemen at the table, and I got two different answers. Uh, but finally I dug through the paperwork and realized that, yeah, I do have to, to get it, which was not a big deal. Uh, but it's one more thing to, uh, yeah, read, read the paperwork, go to the country you're going, see what their laws are and figure out what you need to do so wait that's i just wanted to share some of my experience uh uh neil 
All right, and I, my apologies. I cut off the first few seconds of your audio to everybody else. So this is Jocelyn, 88VRX. Uh, so, um, Dan, you know, anything to th- throw in there? Yeah. Yeah, let me, let me add, because he, he made me, he reminded me of something along the way. And it's a topic that we, we did not talk about talking about, and that's remote operation. Um, uh, yeah. International reciprocal agreements are almost all exclusively for boots-on-the-ground operation. And when you read the CEPT treaty, for example, it talks about being able to present your license to the authorities. Uh, it talks about being there for a short-term visit. And a remote operation, I me mean, dialing into a Swiss transmitter, is certainly not boots-on-the-ground. And CEPT does not cover remote operation, nor would it cover a remote operation into the U.S. And uh, remote operation would also include if you are a foreign national visiting the U.S. where you are boots on the ground, you're certainly eligible to operate, but you could not operate a remote station. You couldn't be in Texas and operating a station in Spokane. Uh, because you would be operating under CEPT, and CEPT does not allow remote operation. So I forgot to mention that earlier. So I'm glad he brought it up to where I could uh, reminded me of it. Yeah, and and just to compliment there, Neil, I I have a friend that has a remote, uh, J K4ZLE, that lives uh, about ten miles away from me at the very most, and uh, he allows only U.S. amateurs to transmit uh, for that specific reason because he said. Uh, it's too hard to keep up, and the maintenance is just not worth it. So he's like, if they want to operate, they have to get a U.S. license. But sorry, I, I wanted to throw that in there real quick. Tell sure. Jay I said did. hello, by the way. I, he's become a good friend over the years. Yeah. All right, well, I will let you carry okay. on, and uh, thank you for taking the call, Neil. I'll talk to you soon. All right, Jocelyn, take care. Good to hear from you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, well, Dan, we've we've already kept you overtime here, so I'm not going to uh, to keep you any longer. But uh, any any last thoughts that you want to get out here and, and kind of summarize what we've talked about here tonight? Yeah, the the bottom line is know before you go and have fun. Because bottom line is that's really where we, you know ham radio. I know that it's got all sorts of purposes that people do experimentation and emergency communications and public service, but remember to enjoy the ride along the way because we got into this to have some fun along the way. And reciprocal operating is certainly something I hope people get a chance to do because it really is exciting. One of the best experiences I've ever had. Two or three times I've been relatively rare dx i've been able to operate from uh i uh for you on itu i've been able to operate twice from uh hv0a at the vatican and let me tell you something nice about about being on that end of the pile up but make sure you got your ducks in a row before you go yeah that's that's good and remind everybody of the website again yeah the website if you're org, you'll uh you can search for just reciprocal operating It'll take you to the page, and on there, there's a link to the one-pager about uh, uh, operating overseas. And I've already—I just closed the link, so I don't have it back open in front of me. But if you if you search for international operations, you'll find uh, the link is on the uh, search output. Okay, very good. So, take a look at that for the country that you want, or 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 just 
you know, if you go to Canada, that's easy. So I, I, I recommend that one, but, <laughs> but, uh, it's possible. You just got to check it out before you go and make sure you do that in plenty of time to, to do that. Um, Ed Durant DD five LP sent me a whole bunch of stuff about, uh, traveling with batteries and, and I'll just throw out here, um, IATA international rules can be found at IATA.org slash DGR hyphen guidance. Um, and it talks about, um, like smart jacket. So it's like a case for your cell phone with a battery in it, uh, hoverboard scooters, and then even radios that have some kind of a lithium battery in it. Um, or maybe you've upgraded it and put a lipo in it instead of a NICAD. Um, there are limits on, you know, the size of those batteries and everything. So make sure you, you check that out too, because those lithium batteries can be, uh, classified as dangerous goods. So I, I don't have the time to go into everything that he, he sent me, unfortunately, but, but, uh, he did want to remind everybody to kind of check that out too, because, um, the batteries can be an issue. So, um, be aware of that when traveling as well. Well, Dan, thank you so much for coming on. You've been extremely informative and I, I think we, we might've left with more questions than we had to start with. I'm not sure, but, um, you, you've, you've enlightened us as to what this all entails and where to find the information and given us a lot of great examples to, to, to try to figure this thing out. So my sincerest thanks and, uh, glad to uh, have you on tonight it's been fun neil thanks for the invitation and uh, like i tell people go have some fun that's our hobby all right well that's a wrap for this week's edition of ham talk live thanks to my guest dan henderson in one nd and everybody out there in cyberspace for listening calling in writing in and i'll invite you back next thursday night at 9 p.m eastern time when marty Soloway in n1c will be here to talk about team exuberance the youth cq worldwide wpx contest team that will be operating at k3lr and for a list of all of our upcoming guests just go over to hamtalklive.com and if you like the show please leave us a review if you can that helps others find us faster so for now this is neil rapp wb9 vpg saying 7375 and may the good dx be yours Tell, 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 tell,